I would say prior to AI or, you know, specifically chat GPT thing, you could like that example, but then you'd be like, well, I'm teaching fractions tomorrow or I'm teaching World War II tomorrow. Like, I don't understand how design thinking fits. And the idea now, like, you know, I have the bump that I share where you can go in and you can say, you know, I'm a teacher, describe your context, describe your scenario. I just learned about design thinking and tomorrow I'm teaching the standard. What might it look like for me? And the way it can output is it, it's phenomenal. Like it's accurate. It, it gives incredible ideas, but it gives a person enough to start putting pieces together. And what you start to see happen for teachers or anyone who really uses this is all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, that I, I can do that. I like this idea. Let's keep building out with this idea. Welcome to the Teacher Goes Podcast. This is your host, Erica Terry, and I'm so excited to collaborate with Teacher Goes to bring you a weekly show that equips educators with best practices and actionable strategies to achieve success in the classroom and foster a more connected and empowered school community. Here, we learn by engaging in honest discussions with innovative teachers, administrators, and educational leaders. Are you ready to achieve your teacher goals? Of course you are, so you're definitely in the right place. Let's get started. Hey, 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 welcome back to episode 46 of the Teacher Goals Podcast. This is your host, Erica Terry, and we have such a fascinating conversation for you today. If you are like me and just amazed by everything that ChatGPT can do and the way it can revolutionize education, as well as so many other areas, right? But today we have none other than Dr. Saba Kidwawit us, who is going to share her expertise, not only in design thinking, but she's going to tell us um, how we can leverage ChatGPT in order to plan lessons and truly enhance the learning experiences of our students. But before we dive into this enlightening conversation, I have to know, are you going to be joining me for the Sharpening Your Teaching Skills virtual conference? This is a collaboration between Teacher Heart Out and Teacher Goals. And we are going to be offering over 40 sessions, uh, which is about 24 plus hours of PD. You are going to not only get access to all of this amazing content, but you're also going to get two free books that are going to be delivered directly to your doorstep. And just by attending, you're going to be eligible for over $10,000 indoor prizes. And so we want to see you there. And in order to get your ticket, simply go to teachergoals.com slash virtual dash conference. We are starting on July 1st. You're going to have three months of access and so much fun as well as amazing learning. And so get it today. I want to see you there. So grab your ticket today, save your seat, and on July 1st, meet us there. With that being said, let's dive into this great discussion on how we can combine AI with design thinking. Get ready for an enlightening conversation that's guaranteed to inspire you 
to embrace your innovation as well as your teaching practices with design thinking. Let's dive in. Hello, how are you? I am doing well. How are you? I am good. I am ready to ask Miss Q all types of questions. Are you ready? All right, so we're going to dive right into the conversation. Uh, For those of you that have been here a while, you know that I love to find out the backstory, right? So I always start off by just asking you, like, to tell us um, how you got to where you are now. We're talking documentary, we're talking book in the works, like so ex Apple, like so many exciting things. So kind of tell us about your journey, where you started in education and how you got to where you are today. Wow, that is a long story, a very, very long story. But you know, honestly, if I had to put it into one sentence, it really is like with every year, the story becomes bigger and longer and longer. If I had to put it in one sentence, I would say that um, probably one of the most transformative things for me was when I was 10 years old, I moved from London to uh, California. And one of the things that I remember so vividly was in London, you know how we have grade levels. And I feel like when you're younger, every single number just really matters. Like I'm going to the next number and I'm advancing in school. And in London, the numbers are ahead of what they are in the United States. So in London, I was in class five. And when I came to the United, well, if I had stayed in London, I would have gone on number six. But when I came to the United States, I was 10. And that meant I was going into fifth grade. And people always ask, like, when I say this, people will ask, like, well, what did you like about school in London? And I can't remember. But what I loved about school in London was I was happy. And I remember enjoying school and I loved learning. And I was a good student, like, especially when it came to like math, I was, I was very strong. came to the United States, school was really, really, really different. And I remember just being like really angry and really like upset. And I hated school and the way they did math here was different. And I was always telling the teacher, like, you're doing it wrong. Like in London, we do it this way. And I just felt like here things were just so difficult. And it was, it was overall just a really hard transition, but the bottom line is I didn't like school and I didn't really enjoy school until I left high school. I took the exit exam. Like in California, we have a high school exit exam. And I was like AP, IB, all those things, but school was just, it was awful. It was miserable. I never really like found that love for learning from fifth grade all the way till 11th grade. But when I was in 11th, I learned that you could take this exit exam and you could go to community college. And I went to community college and I felt like I was in like heaven. Like I scrolled through the course catalog, the way people probably scroll through Amazon or your favorite (laughs) online store. And I took everything. I took everything from like computer science to sewing, to fencing, to public speaking, to graphic design, to one of the courses was education. And while I was there, I also did an, uh, my first job was working with um, a program called EOPS. It supports like low-income students and you are placed in two high schools. So you're at, you're in the college working for the community college, but you're assigned to high schools to go and talk to, um, you know, graduating seniors about their options. And a lot of kids don't know that community college is an option, that there's financial aid available. Like there's so many different options for you that they don't know. And I remember just watching like their faces like light up when they heard about a pathway that was possible for them that they didn't know. And I was like, I want to do this. Like, I want to do this. And at the same time, I was was a social science major. And so I learned that you could 
you know, go and be a social science teacher, work with high school students. And so that's what I did. I, I went to UCI, studied social science, um, got my credential, did all the things. And really through that, I think my entire career has been this like mission to just how do we make learning fun and how do we make it exciting? But more than that, how do we open up pathways for people to opportunities they didn't know existed. Oh. And I think if I had to kind of sum in a nutshell, it would be that, whether it was me doing it for myself yeah. through things that I was interested in that led me down different career paths, whether it was, you know, working with iPads and technology, whether it was, you know, getting recruited Apple. The one common thread in everything is how do you showcase your skills and strengths to people to open up opportunities for yourself? Ah, I love it. Opening up these pathways for people that they didn't know existed. Like, I feel like that's about to be the theme of this conversation, especially with um, us having a focus on AI, because I know that as educators, we get so busy that we don't have time to like play around with things. And so, uh it's a whole world out here that many educators do not know exists. So we're going to definitely talk about it tonight. But before we do that, this is actually, we're on episode 46, and this is our first time talking about design thinking here on the Teacher Goes podcast. So I want to start off by um, having you kind of define Find what design thinking is, since this is our first conversation about it, and really how it's used in education. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll say one of the things that I love about design thinking is it's two things. It's both a method. Mm -hmm. So you are getting steps that allow you to apply whatever challenge or opportunity, whatever you're confronted with, mm -hmm. you have a method. You've got step-by-step-by-step -by -step -by -step guidelines for how to approach something that feels unfamiliar, feels unknown, like you just don't even know where to begin. But the mm -hmm. second part that I love about this about design thinking is it's also a mindset. The more you engage in this practice, you don't even realize when you go from being a person who is afraid of change or who doesn't have the tools to navigate change to being somebody who all of a sudden will just say, well, like, okay, sure, let's try it. <laughs> Yes. Like, okay, no problem. Let's try it. Let's just, again, like that creative confidence you develop mm -hmm. happens so organically and happens very slowly and gradually, but, but that, but that's the biggest thing that you get as a result. And so, you know, we live in a world where every, every day we don't know what we're confronted with. And even, even when, you know, like even within the parameters of something that we are familiar with, there are so many unknowns. So having the structure, which sounds so counterintuitive, right? Like you want a formula for creativity, you want a formula for navigating ambiguity, but it's the formula that gives you confidence to handle the ambiguity or the unknown that comes your way because you've got something to hold on to. Yes. And so when we think about like design thinking and the future of education, and then you weave in this whole AI piece, like kind of just break it down to us. Like how does even all of these pieces fit together? Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So I feel like one of the best ways you could do that is literally go to chat GPT and like ask it to put something together for you. So if you are with chat GPT, like this is the one thing I would encourage you to try. So first I would say what makes design thinking really unique from say like project-based learning or like any other type of methodology is that it begins with empathy, right? We're constantly leaning into who are we working with? What are their needs? What do people like? What are people struggling with? Like that's, that's that human element that without that 
insight and that knowledge and those observations that only a human can bring to the table, mm-hmm. it's hard to structure anything after. So design thinking gives you that human advantage because it's always going to start with you and your prompt, your input, your yeah. spark that you're putting into the AI. So when we think about, say, like a standard, say like, you know, um, well, let, let me give you my favorite example, which is the first one that I I learned um, from two teachers at um, a, a school called Design 39. And this was back in 2014. And I was at an ed camp and they, you know how like, you know, we read children's books. And so they had this one book that the kids were reading called Catch That Rat. And it's a very typical story, right? Like everyone's afraid of the rat through town, grandma, the mailman, the little kid, everyone. And so normally we would just read the book and we would maybe do some questions or we would, you know, analyze it and whatnot. But they use the design thinking method to reframe that activity. So they're not starting from scratch. They're not like throwing everything out, creating new things. They're just reframing. And so instead of having the kids just kind of more passively read and answer questions or do activities, they had each kid take on a character from the book. So one of my favorite examples is the student who decided to, you know, do the rat as their character. And so, you know, you're then empathizing with the rat. Well, like everyone's scared of the rat in the book, but how does the rat feel? Like what, what, what is its challenges? Like, how does it feel? What is it thinking? What is it? And so basically what they kind of came up with was like, you know, well, maybe the rat is just really hungry and it's just like traveling through town because it's just trying to find some food and shelter. And so it's, again, you're just like thinking about things from a different perspective. And then it's like, okay, if that's what the rat is doing, what what is the problem? So like one of the problem statements they come up with is, you know, how do we make humans um, empathize more with the rat? And then they create something. And basically what they created at the end of it to kind of solve this problem of like these two people being so scared of each other was this little like machine where you go in as a human, you come out as a rat, you go in as a rat and you come out as a human. Okay. And so basically through that whole process, they're, they're thinking about characters, they're thinking about problems in the story, but they're also picking out ones that are interested in solving and then creating something. And so in that process, you know, you've got creativity, you've got problem solving, mm-hmm. you've got communication, because you've got to articulate what this problem is that you're solving along with your solution that you're designing. And so mm-hmm. to, it was just this radical idea that, wow, you completely change the way you engage with a book. And so right. we can do that for any book. And I would say prior to AI or, you know, specifically chat GPT type generative AI tools, making like thing you could like that example, but then you'd be like, well, I'm teaching fractions tomorrow or I'm teaching World War II tomorrow. Like, I don't understand how design thinking fits. And mm-hmm. that thinking piece was really hard. It took a lot of time, took a lot of energy. And the idea now, like, you know, I have the bump that I share where you can go in and you can say, you know, I'm a teacher, describe your context, describe your scenario. I just learned about design thinking and tomorrow I'm teaching this standard. What might it look like for me? And the the way it can output is it, it's phenomenal. Like it's accurate. It, it gives incredible ideas, but it gives a person enough to start putting pieces together. And what you start to see happen for teachers or anyone who really uses this is all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, that. I can do that. I like this idea. Let's keep building out with this idea. So it's almost mm-hmm. like you have this like design thinking coach, or you can replace out design thinking really with any framework like UDL, backwards design, and that spark that it creates, like that that partnership of like, oh wow, like it was hard for maybe me to put those pieces together, but somebody else just did it, and now I can take it and run. And now when it comes to implementation, you know, it's great at now creating those direction sheets. It's creating creating rubrics, all those mm-hmm. pieces that just take on 
that now allow us to have somebody do that work for us so we can focus on the implementation, really leaning into what are the kids enjoying in my class? What are they talking about? What are their interests? What are their strengths? What are their challenges? And how do I solve for those? And how do I continue designing learning um, with my thought partner for my students? But it really, I think, just frees up a teacher's mental space to be able to engage in the implementation, which is, again, the thing only the human can do. Yes. And I love the whole premise and idea of thinking of chat GPT as a thought partner. Like that is the perfect word. Like that's the perfect. Yes. All things. Yes. Like as a thought partner. And I love the fact that you pointed out that this can be related to design thinking, of course, but all like UDL backwards, like anything you're working on. Right. I'm trying to figure out how to implement specially designed instruction or You know, I I just love the tools so much, so, so much. And I think you painted such a great example of how we can use ChatGPT. Um, But as we know, and you kind of pointed out like the fact that when you're using ChatGPT um, as your thought partner, that gives you more time to like actually implement the strategies and really engage the students But with all good things, there are always challenges that arise. And so when you think about like a challenge, like what's a common challenge that teachers um, encounter when they're trying to use ChatGPT and plan uh, for design thinking and implement and how can they overcome those challenges? Yeah, I'm going to zoom out a little bit into one of the challenges because I'm, and I'm going to like kind of reference Kathy's comment a little bit because I think one of the biggest challenges that we see is really bad prompting. And I'm seeing a lot of really bad teaching around prompting. And that to me leads down this like, like it's like a downhill trajectory then because it's like you get a bad prompt, you get a bad response. And that's kind of now the image that somebody has about what they can and cannot do with a tool like this. And so I think the prompt and how we design prompts, how we think about prompting is so, so, so important. And so, you know, I created a framework called Spark. And the whole premise of Spark is to get people to think about their situation, their problem, their operation, the results that they want. And then K is what we call Kismet is like asking like ChatGPT for like, what's something I didn't think of. And it's designed to really mimic that those like serendipitous moments with people where like you're saying something, I'm saying something in the middle of a conversation, we have that aha moment Mm -hmm. because it's just something we didn't think of that somebody else kind of prompted us. So I think it's really, and this is why I go back to that design thinking piece, like what is the problem you're actually trying to solve? What are the Mm -hmm. things that you really want to be able to achieve? And how do you design a prompt around something like that? Because you know, one, one of the prompts that I just don't like at all is the, you know, act as an expert teacher and create this for me. And the reason I don't like it is if you go onto the internet and you would have search expert, everyone thinks they're an expert in something. And so I think even really thinking back to that information literacy piece and really being able to think back to like, okay, but what does expert mean to me? What am I really trying to look for? That is that human element that I think when you define a situation, you're getting a more personalized response and you're getting a more personalized kind of outcome from what it is you're looking for. And so, yeah, I think just from like a credibility information literacy piece, really being able to define the frameworks, really being able to define the parameters, really reflecting on your own situation is like mm-hmm. so, so, so important. And how we teach people to do that to me is that critical thinking piece. That's the critical thinking piece that, you know, yeah, you are going to get really bad outcomes if you put in really bad prompts. And so I think really thinking about the problems we want to solve 
the questions we're asking, the frameworks and the evidence that we're leaning on will really help us create more just just get better outcomes and better results from these generative tools. Yes, and I couldn't agree with you more. But what, as you were speaking and you were giving us the, the example that, you know, we see all the time, act as an expert. Can you give us a counter example, like using the Spark framework? How would you um, create a prompt? Like, how would you create something different from act as an expert using the Spark framework? Yeah. And it's not even so much about using the Spark framework. So for example, like if I wanted to lean into something, like instead of just saying act as an expert teacher, I might say something like act as an expert teacher using the Wiggins and McTighe backwards design model. So I'm now okay. framing the parameter for what I mean when I say expert, because yes. expert can mean so many different things. And I tell people, you know, think about like, if you had to go and have a heart surgery tomorrow and there were, there was somebody who, you know, you were looking for a directory and you were looking for a doctor, would you simply stop at somebody who said, well, I'm an expert in this surgery. No, you're going to ask 10,000 more questions to get some, what do you mean by expert? Tell me about your experience. Tell me where you've studied. Tell me where you've been. I want case studies. I want examples. So in real life, we would never simply, well, I mean, some people do take at face value what we mean when we say expert about something. But I think when we can really define what we mean by expert, Mm -hmm. we are going to get such better results and outcomes. Like, And then again, we're just, we're guiding and we're controlling the information. Otherwise, when you don't, I mean, if you think about a tool like ChatGPT, it's just reading information from the internet, right? It's like, you know, it's got, it can handle way more than any of our single brains can handle, Mm -hmm. but that has an upside and it has a downside as well. And the downside is when you go to the internet and you just say like, okay, you take anyone, you take that first search result as expert, you know, that's kind of where we run into some of those like information literacy problems. And so I think just, just getting people to remember, like, and that is the critical thinking piece. And I think how we teach students to do that to me is like almost like a second chance at really um, upskilling people on media literacy, on information literacy. You know, I always reference uh, Stanford in 2016, almost 10 years ago, created a study, the Stanford History Education Group did a study on how young people basically, you know, their, their information literacy skills on sources on the internet. And the numbers, like their basic conclusion in one sentence was, if children are the future, our future is ill-informed. And we have a bleak, dismal threat to democracy because most students cannot tell real from fake news. And this isn't just students. This is like adults as well. So when you think about not only getting information from a tool like this, but also the fact that the people are using this to not only generate content, but they're using it to generate images and so many other things, not being able to look something and have that critical lens of, okay, where is this coming from? What do you, is this really an expert? What is this source? Is it real? Is it not real? Having that lens of not only how we communicate with these tools, but also how we consume from these tools Mm -hmm. is going to be like, a make or break for like how we consume information and what's real and what's not, which we had a problem with pre-AI. So I think really leaning into how we engage with these tools and what that critical thinking really means is going to be so, so important. So do you have any tips or strategies for a teacher that's um, shaking their head and agreeing with you? And they're like, yes, I want to empower my students with these critical thinking skills that they would need, but I'm not really sure how to do it. Like any advice, or tips for that person that's having that thought right now? Yeah. I mean, one of the things I always say, and I think this was true for like any technology. So I always say like, if we reflect back on the past 10 years, when we saw say like, just like the rise of like iPads and books, 
at the end of the day, one of the things we always knew was that it's not about the technology. It's always about the learning, right? It's all about the pedagogy. And I would say we have so many pedagogical like practices that are grounded in evidence-based practices, right? We've got that research. We've got those things, whether it's research around motivation, whether it's research around frameworks or teaching pedagogies and whatnot. I really, really, really think this is the time to go back to those, to revisit those practices that we have all learned, that we all know, but struggle to implement because of time and demands and just burnout. And I mean, it's hard. It's not easy. So like if I was to take one example, like like, when I went to um, school for my credential, we learned the backwards design model, right? From Wiggins and McTighe, like what skill, like those sort of like three overarching skills that guide it. Like say, for example, like what do you want students to know and be able to do? Mm-hmm. How will they demonstrate this learning to you? And how will you support them? And I felt like that question number two, how will they demonstrate learning to you was for me always the, um, quest- as I was asking that question, as different tools and things appeared, mm-hmm. I always got new ideas. Oh, like maybe I started with just like scantrons and poster paper, you know? And then yes. it was like, okay, we've got iPads or we've got a computer lab or, you know, wow, what else could they do? And now we've got these AI tools, you know, what else could they do? Kids can create movies, they can create post audio, like the options today are limitless. And mm-hmm. so to me, I really like take one of those frameworks Take those things that you've heard at conferences or a strategy or a framework you've liked, put it in ChatGPT alongside whatever your standard or whatever it is that you're teaching and ask it to create an assignment that is aligned with the skills we want our kids to use. Like I was, I like the World Economic Forum, like Taxonomy 4.0. And like the amazing thing is it knows all of these frameworks and taxonomies and whatnot. You can even use Bloom's Taxonomy, like whatever you want to use, align those frameworks. And that's where, to me, the aspiration part comes in. When I tell people to like, you know, okay, what what is the dream you have? Like, what would you want to create? We're so not used to dreaming about these amazing learning experiences that we could design and create simply because we're burnt out. We've forgotten. Our systems don't allow us to do these things just because the restrictions were under that we've, we've forgotten what it means to dream, dream big. And the really awesome thing I think about this tool is it can rise to the occasion. It can output some incredible things for you yes. if you input those frameworks and you have those asks. And so that's, that's what I would encourage people to do, like pick a framework, pick a standard and kind of like, you know, plug and play those pieces together and then work with those ideas and those outcomes that it gives you. I love it. And so for those of you that um, tune in regularly, that's really our action to implement tomorrow. Like that's something that you can jump on chat GPT even tonight and, you know, take that advice and really get started um, with using a tool. And so with that being said, I want to end with some final words of wisdom Um, for that educator that it's like, okay, I've been trying, you know, design, I've been implementing design thinking in my classroom, and now I'm going to try this whole chat GPT thing. Um, Can you just give us some final words of wisdom? I would say pair up with another teacher because that's another really good thing. It's good at doing like we're an English teacher and a history teacher, like co-teaching, and this is our project. This is our standard. This is what we're doing. How could we co-create an experience? Because I think that is going to be the next big evolution. You know, the technology can only be as successful as the environment that it's in. Mm -hmm. I think the more we can, like, I think this is the one, like when I did the research and I did the documentary, the one big, big, big game changer, which actually even inspired me to go and create the documentary was watching teachers teach together. 
And I remember walking into Design 39, which is a public school, right? And thinking like, wow, like how come they all get to work together on like their third grade class and I have to work by myself? Like, why is that an exception and not the norm? And that is really the one thing, like the one sort of sentiment that really um, sparked like the documentary, the research, like my desire to go in there and spend all that time there doing that. Mm -hmm. And I think if we can, and teachers want this, like when we, I spend so much time doing teacher interviews for school districts and whatnot, student interviews, but the teacher interviews, it's the same thing all the time. I want time to collaborate with my peers. I want time to learn with my peers. And I always tell people like everything I do today, I learned from two first grade teachers. And so I think there's so much, like, I think, you know, it goes back to, again, this research, we already know these things. And now hopefully we have the tools that will allow people to have more confidence in implementing these ideas. But we know that when we trust our teachers and we give them that autonomy that, you know, they're able to do incredible things. And I think as leaders, our goal is to remove those obstacles, right? Like that, that are standing in their way of doing that. But I think the more we can create collaborative teaching environments for people that may be in person, but maybe online, right? We have so many different ways to think about space, to think about time. Um, I I think that I hope is like the next evolution. So if you're somebody who's already like super proficient in doing this tag team with another teacher and think about like, Hey, what might we co-design together as an experience for our students? Great, great advice. And so before you go, I'm going to combine like two things in one. Um, First and foremost, if people want to learn more about you, where can they find you? But also you started talking about the documentary. And so just give us a little behind the scenes snapshot, kind of tell us uh, more about the documentary. Yeah, absolutely. So the documentary is based on one school in San Diego, California called Design 39. And there are many schools like that out there. So like the one thing I always say is like the documentary is not designed to be like, go be Design 39, or this is the best that there is. It was a story that was local. It was close by. But more than that, it was a story that really impacted the way I thought about teaching and learning. Because I just said, right, like like I walked in there and I was like, how are they able to do this? I'm not, but we're all at public schools. And I think a lot of the times when we see innovation, we see things we like, you know, the number one thing people will always say is like, well, that's a, this type of school or like, you know, they can do that because of this. And it made me want to go in there and say, okay, like I see these things on the outside, the collaboration, the creativity, the, you know, the interdisciplinary learning, like there's so much happening. Your teachers are happy. Um, and yet they're able to like, you know, do a lot of things that we all talk about doing, but struggle to do. And I wanted to know, how do you do this? And so I spent two and a half years researching um, their practices. And what it really came down to is I call it like the iceberg effect, where like on the outside, when you walk into a place, you see all of these amazing things happening. But underneath what you don't see is that there was a culture of trust that was created and the very specific ways in which they created that trust. Like one of the things I always say as people taking a first step in that direction is they started by identifying their strengths. And the reason for that was like, you know, like that's what collaboration is. It's more than just working on a Google doc. It's I'm really good at this. You're really good at this. What happens when we put those pieces together? And so one of my favorite lines in the documentary is when we come together to collaborate, we begin with what are you energized by? So again, really reminding people of their human strengths, which was, you know, pre the documentary was like pre-AI, but, you know, um, we have Seth Godin in the documentary, Eric Brynjolfsson, who's a researcher up at Stanford, and they both, interestingly enough, were talking about AI. And so we were talking about the future, but without really defining it. And so it's like very like validating as well to kind of see how these practices 
um, are, are, are they, they travel through time. You know, design thinking is not a practice where it's going to be like, oh, the new technology comes along and now this isn't relevant anymore. If anything, it's the opposite. It's going to give you the confidence to be ready to iterate upon whatever new things come your way. And so the, I, I always knew that I wanted to tell it in a visual way. I think there's a really big difference between somebody telling you that I saw this, but actually seeing and hearing Mm -hmm. what happens in schools when we create that culture of trust and collaboration for teachers. And so that was really kind of like my hope and dream that people see that and say what I did. Like, why why do I not get to have that? Like, I want that. How do I make that happen in my school? Yes. available on YouTube. And um, it's just really inspiring to see what happens when we give teachers that trust and autonomy. Yes. And it's called designing schools. The future is a place we can create or we create. Correct. Yeah, that's a, that's what their mantra. Yeah, the future is a place we create. Like that's what yeah. the principal used to always say. That's what they always say. The future is ours to create, and I think that's a great sort of like reminder for today as well. Yeah. It's easy for us to feel overwhelmed by AI. Like AI is somehow in control, but as humans, you're in control. You get to shape the future um, yes. if you take, you know, sort of like that action and initiative. Yes. So this is so inspiring. The future, like, I, so inspiring. And so for people that want to learn more or check out the documentary, tell us where they can find you. Yeah, I always say the website is the easiest, like a choose your own adventure. Like if you go to designingschools.org, you can just kind of choose like what social media you like, what you like, the, the documentary is there, everything's kind of posted there. So I would say the website designingschools.org is the easiest. Yes. So thank you so much. I was so inspired by this conversation and holistic educational services says I am loving this discussion. And so I just want to say thank you for joining us today. This was so enlightening. Thank you for having me. What did I tell you? I know if you're like me, you left this conversation motivated and feeling so inspired to really take charge and embrace the power of AI and give ChatGPT a try. Trust me, you will not regret it. It can help you in so many ways as an educator, from everything to designing lessons, to grading and feedback. When you begin to leverage ChatGPT, not only will it revolutionize your teaching practices, but as Dr. Kiwa shared, It also allows you to do the part of teaching that you love the most, which is interacting and engaging with your students, motivating them to achieve success. I am so excited for you and so excited about these new possibilities in your classroom and can't wait to hear how you're implementing the strategies that you've learned today. And the only way that I can know is by you creating a post and tagging us at Teacher Goals or by leaving a review right now on the same podcast platform that you're listening from to let us know how much you're enjoying the show and how it's impacting your life and helping you to achieve your teacher goals. Know that you are always appreciated and valued, and we are just so thankful to have you as a part of our community. If you haven't been joining us on Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, then make sure you follow us at Teacher Goals and tune in on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, or LinkedIn 
so that you can engage in our live interviews and ask our guests any questions. I hope to see you there and we'll be back next week for another exciting episode. So until then, keep striving for those teacher goals. I'll see you next week. Teacher Goals and Teacher Heart Out is sponsoring a 2023 Bahamas cruise open to all educators. Guests such as spouses, family, and friends are also welcome to attend. There is an amazing lineup of speakers, and you can book your PD at sea now by putting down a $200 deposit. Attend the Sail Away Party Thursday, July 6th in Port Canaveral at 6 p.m. in preparation for Cruising Friday. You will return Monday, July 10th at 8 a.m. Scan the QR code now to sign up. You don't want to miss it.